we are here with legendary business reporter Steve Lohr from the New York Times. Uh, over, over 20 years, um, also the author of Dataism, a uh, great new book here that's uh, The Revolution Transforming Decision-Making Consumer Behavior and Almost Everything Else, including health and healthcare, which I want to get into with you. Um, but let's start with, with dataism. It's, it's really a philosophy that you talk about, um, the philosophy on how decisions should be made. Um, what is it and, and why did you write this book? I've been writing about these kinds of things long before terms like data science and big data and data, you know, dataism surfaced. Um, and this book was an extension actually of a, a Sunday review piece that I was asked to do after by a senior editor at the New York Times. Uh, uh, who had been to Davos and heard uh, have a lot of these big data sessions and said, well, you've been writing about this kind of stuff. Can you do a general interest piece? And uh, he said, and we did it the old-fashioned way. He said, you know, here's the headline. You figure out the story. And the headline was the age of big data. And so I did a long kind of explanatory piece and, uh, you know, led to a book contract and it, uh, I signed it. And a year later, uh, they actually still did want it. So I took... Uh, so it was a good sign. So, so I took, I took uh, 10 months uh, off from the New York Times and worked at a little cubby hole at Columbia University where I went. Where I went to school years ago and uh, traveled around and, uh, and did the book. I did additional reporting in this and then wrote it as well. It's interesting. You, you talk about that in the book about how data science is really discovering the issue through the data. That's kind of how you discovered the book, it sounds like. Yeah, no, it's one, you know, one thing leads to another kind of thing. But I mean, to answer your, your original question as to what dataism is, it's really the sort of the, the broadest decision-making implication of this technology that we now call either big data, data science, or data-driven artificial intelligence. And it's, you know, you move kind of through three stages. There's the technology, which is, you know, all the data we know about from various sources, right? Unstructured and unstructured. The tools from the artificial intelligence toolkit, uh, mainly machine learning to see patterns and perhaps predict what's next. And, the, and then it opens the door to kind of a revolution in measurement. I mean, you can see things in a way you never could before. I mean, well, there's a little lead anecdote and vignette that kind of starts the book uh, about McKesson, pharmaceutical distribution, right? And they, they took, you know, this is, yeah, massive undertaking, right? And I went down to their big national distribution center outside Memphis, and it's eight football fields, and this is a razor-thin margin business, right? right. Um, and so they've been at this for a long time, but they were able through you know, sensors and smart software to be able to take a billion dollars out of their um, out of their distribution network. And Don Walker, the guy who was, uh, who was the senior executive in charge of all that, is, has a nice phrase for it. And he said, what, it, uh, what the technology allows you to do is to make the invisible visible. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, so you can see and measure things as you couldn't before. And then, at, then you know, the idea is that you, you know, more and more decisions can be made based on, you know, data and analysis as opposed to gut feel, experience, and intuition. And a lot of that's good, and some of it uh, can go too far. So I want to get into that, that part, but what should entrepreneurs, CEOs, leaders take away from it? It seems like there's a, a whole reinvention happening over the last few years because of big data, because of measurement, because of these new sensors that are measuring everything. What do they need to be aware of? Walmart was the canonical example that was always used that when you know, storm, really bad storms were coming, it, it, their data showed um, that people purchased more beer and strawberry Pop-Tarts 
This is the, during a hurricane. Yeah, this is, or or really, yeah, a really bad storm coming. So so okay. So the, the store manager orders. You know, he doesn't care why this is the case, but that's the inference that Walmart's data has was able to show them. But in those days, it required you had to be Walmart to do it. It's right. amazingly expensive, uh, you know, computing power. Um, the sensors put on everything were really expensive. Um, and so it was, uh, you could do it in these huge closed worlds. And that, what's happened is, is it's like, you know, the, to use the cliche, you know, a Cambrian explosion, mm -hmm. right? And distribution of these tools being available, you know, to all, to, you know, to just about everybody. And, 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 and you know, most, so many of the startups that I ever write about are in this world. I mean, the barrier to entry because of cloud computing, for example, and some of these off-the-shelf tools, um, uh, you know, makes a lot of this kind of examination possible and available to, you know, to startups. Right. So to a McKesson, once they were the only ones that had this right. yeah. I mean, technology they, they could, and innovation. Yeah. That's right. And they could, and it was, frankly, it was, it was an easy project for them to do. I mean, they had been doing this kind of thing, right, almost since the outset. These optimization tools at a high end, you know, off mainframes and the things, right, have been around for a long time. But this was an additional billion to take out, so that's, you know. So did anything surprise you during your research of the book? Was there something that just blew you away that you, you sort of didn't intuitively know before you started it? Some of the things that actually surprised me were, um, not so much surprised, but I thought was significant, was you know, the limits of the technology as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of, you know, it's easy to say we should make everything based on data analysis, right? And, and gut feel and, and hunch are out the door, right? But a lot of what we call experience and intuition at its best is a human being processing a huge amount of quote unquote data, but something you can't attach a crisp number to. Um, and that's, I, a colleague and I years ago did a, a series uh, for the science section on the front page on artificial intelligence breakthroughs in 2010. It was, and it was called Smarter Than You Think. And we you know, did the leading science kind of everywhere, right? And looked at it. And, but what you also came away with was a huge appreciation for what we call general human intelligence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is that because of where we are in the, the cycle of innovation, meaning there's always that inflection point where and I know this is a big discussion in AI circles and with cognition, which, you know, it, it seems pretty dumb, pretty dumb, pretty dumb, it's getting smarter, and then, and then just all of a sudden there's this exponential leap. Um, what are your thoughts on that and, and where we really are? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge debate, and as you said, there's been real progress in this area that we call uh, deep learning neural networks in recent years. And it, they've been really good at, at surprising improvements at, at individual tasks, speech recognition, image recognition, uh, language translation. So those have been uh, uncommon gains that people you know, have, haven't expected. What, but it's still, um, it's still what's called supervised learning that then sort of takes off. I mean, image recognition is a good example. The, the thing, that, the basis that they test all these things is, was a, a, a tag system of billions of photographs winnowed down to thousands, tens of thousands of categories called ImageNet. It was developed by Stanford and Princeton. Um, 
But in the development of it, it at one time it had 147,000 people on Mechanical Turk tagging pictures. Right. So this extraordinary automated artifact is also required huge Humans. amounts of human effort. And the real debate on where we're headed with our artificial intelligence and how soon, which is the main debate, is where we are in this world. You know wh how far we're along in moving towards unsupervised learning, because that's when the real takeoff mm -hmm. happens. And people, both who are extremely optimistic and extremely pessimistic about you know this being an existential threat to humanity if AI takes off, uh, you know, they're all looking at this. You know how quickly we can move to unsupervised learning. And the fact is that for the people working in the trenches, we're not there anytime soon. So, I mean, so these, these are, Elon these, Musk from, is from, scaring us yeah. perhaps a little too soon. And, and a lot of this is, is years out. In the same, it's the same way as the automation debate. If you, you know, if you talk about 20 years from now, take your pick, right, in right. terms of number. I mean, if you talk about the next four or five years, which is kind of what we can see, um, you know, it isn't anywhere near as severe. And it's, you see this, frankly, in startups. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did a, a recent story on uh, automation and uh, AI in the legal field, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's moving in. But it's moves in, you know, the terms like machine learning and artificial intelligence sound extremely general, like, you know, like you're going to talk to something. Like a right. gen It's not. These are in verticals. What they found is specific kinds of, like document review, contract review. We've already had, you know, e-discovery in the legal field. But the startups that are doing well are, you know, getting a business and getting revenue from applying these things in fairly kind of narrow tasks within a vertical like legal or like healthcare. So that's a good segue to you know what trends and technologies are are you most interested in specifically that you think will have the biggest impact on our health or healthcare as an industry, but also our personal health. Um, we've been talking about AI. Um, I know you talk a lot about or write a lot about Internet of Things, um, blockchain. Um, there's a lot of big things going on at the same time. Um, what are the implications for health and healthcare? I mean, they're huge in the long term. I mean, it, I mean, you know this better than I. But health is, you know, it is not only our largest industry, but it's, you know, it's life and death, right? So, that, so it's a great, you know application for these technologies. And the kind of main character I wrote about in this book is a guy named Jeff Hammerbacker who made this evolution from Wall Street to Facebook to you know, uh, big data technology tools. And now he's in healthcare affiliated with Mount Sinai and doing immunotherapy kind of stuff on the side. I mean, as, as he said, his career is you know, following the smartest people to the best problems. And you know, healthcare is the best, you know, the best problem, right? Um, I think it just across the board, there are huge kind of opportunities. I tend to personally kind of look at the science-based ones. Mm -hmm. So you do, people are applying, you know, there's a, a startup called Deep Genomics, for example, which applies some of this deep learning technology to, to predicting what, um, what the molecular impact of gene variations will be. So what you do is really condense the time for, for, for picking your targets, whether it's either for drugs or for therapies, right? Um, I just, you know, the sort of, again, you know better than I, but in terms of all the kind of fitness tracking and the trouble, obviously, with so much of, of healthcare was, and from a personal health standpoint, is that the feedback mechanism is not like a, uh, uh, like the financial markets, where right. you know right now, I mean, you, 
Whereas, so you know, 30 it's, years. Yeah, so you, you do something now in a, or a lifetime habit, right? And it changes, it, it, the effect is years and years and years later. I mean, to be able to do these things, um, to do this kind of measurement, again, it's becoming affordable in the same way that was, whether it's McKesson's distribution network mm -hmm. or your, your body. And I think we're moving toward, you know, it moves into even eventually into things like insurance. I mean, you want right. to have that third glass of wine right. um, for dinner? That's great. It'll but cost gonna, you three cents more. Or, or <laughs> you're going to have to hit the gym another time for that if the, if the healthy uh, you know, for the healthy living discount that you get on your you know on your uh, on your health insurance. I, I think we're going to these things are going to be you know tailored and of course with appropriate safeguards, right? Well, we're seeing it with auto insurance. Yeah. Why wouldn't you see it yeah, with health? That's right. And it was, I was pushed back. Progressive did it you know years ago famously, right? Put a box in. And sort of, and now and employers are doing it with exercise and smoking. And yeah, no, that's right, that's right, that's right. There's, I mean, uh, GE famously has, a, I think it's a discount if you, you know, if you don't smoke, right? Right, and I, or, or know, bonus, excuse it's me. It's an it's an interesting point because I think a lot of the innovation going on there's there's technology innovation, but there's also business model innovation, design innovation. Um, you mentioned the wave of talent coming in. Um, what we're most excited about is that last one, uh, all the, the talent coming in, instead of focusing their data science on ad clicking, it's on precision medicine and, and things like that. Are you, are you coming across a lot of that in, in your travels? Yeah, a fair, fair amount, and, and even kind of people that I've uh, happened to be in this book, a woman mm -hmm. named Yoki Matsuoka, who is a uh, uh, you know, MacArthur fellow, had done a lot at MIT, had been at the University of Washington, Stanford, she was Google X, right. and doing robotics. Then she worked for Nest for a while, did, you know, smart thermostat stuff. She's uh, she's doing health now at, at Apple. I mean, right. you know, because she's at Apple, I can't write about her. I try right. to, <laughs> but I mean, it's like they go in and they don't come out. Right. But but yeah, I mean, across the board, I think you're seeing what's look. I you can debate it, but look at the look at how much of Watson that IBM has done is health is health, health and two, healthcare. Two thirds of its healthcare. Right. I mean, and if you look at a company like IBM, they've been. You know, hot and cold over the last twenty or thirty years on things like healthcare for just the reasons we mentioned. It's you know, it's it's huge, but it's it's a tough, highly regulated um, market that's a little bit like small business. You know, in the aggregate, it's enormous, but try to you know, it's local. It's this you know, it has these kind of problems. I mean, there are a lot of even IBM thinks this is absolutely scalable mm -hmm. because for it. For, to move the needle for IBM, you know, for example, it's got to be, you know. Well, it's interesting. They're becoming a healthcare company through yeah. Watson. Yeah. Um, Tim Cook is, has said, I think, two years ago now, Apple's becoming a health company or healthcare company. And to move the needle on a company so big, you kind of have to go into a three, four trillion dollar market t and make an impact there, right? Um, so I think there's a business opportunity which is another reason why I think so many great startups are, are now emerging. Um, so, you know, I wanted to ask you about where we are in the arc of, of innovation, and are you more excited today or 20 years ago, 25 years ago, however long it's been, when you first started writing about technology innovation? I mean, the last 25 years have been so extraordinary with, with the rise of the web and everything else that's come, mobile and all of this. Are you just as excited today as, as at the beginning, or have we leveled off? I think more so. Innovation, you know, back in the 90s, a lot of it was, you know, 
in big companies, uh, government funding stuff. I mean, it, it, you, the, you know, the cost of experimentation has come down so much, so that you know more people can innovate faster. It's, I mean, all these kind of cliches, lean startup, and so forth that we know, but they're enabled by technology. I mean, cloud computing, for example, your ability and the web, the internet, you know, your ability to test things and see how get immediate feedback as to whether it's working, whether it's not. I just think that kind of you know that that accelerated cycle of innovation makes it much. Um, much more democratic, and mm. in some ways, it's you know, if somebody's writing about it, much more. You, you you know, you always had to pick your shots a little bit, but you really got to decide what you're going to focus on because there's so much. Right. Right. I mean, it's because, um, you know, it's sort of everywhere, especially with the global innovation going yeah. on. It's yeah, happening not just in Silicon Valley or Boston; it's happening all over the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, <clears throat> everything is bigger in China. I mean, you just put an exponential behind it, right? But right. I mean, and and some of it's just you know, throwing numbers at things, huge numbers. But some of the things they're doing there are pretty amazing. And it's, you know, I, as somebody who's a foreign correspondent for decades, lived in that part of the world. I mean, it is, you know, Chinese entrepreneurialism, is, as long as it's not under the communist boot heel, is pretty amazing. I mean, it is, Chinese entrepreneurs run every, you know, ran every country economy in that part of the world, right. except for South Korea and Japan. Right. But every place else, it was this, you know, it was the Chinese entrepreneurs, right? As, as, as Singapore was so entrepreneurial, they hived off from Malaysia, right? And, you know, that's, that, that burst of kind of inherent, you know, entrepreneurial risk-taking really takes hold in China. I mean, uh, that's another, it's another, you know, huge wave, right? So uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about data and big data. So is is data the new oil? I've heard people talk yeah, about this for a sure. while. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's. I mean, I, there's, there's also. I mean, there's a lot of you know a lot of water in the ocean too. You can't drink it, right? I mean, so it, not it's, all data is created equal. And, you talk and, about that. And you know the, the the you know people use these overall numbers as to the explosion of you know of of information that you know that. More was created in the last year than all of you know all the words ever spoken, for example, and so forth. But you know that the numerator there is really inflated by you know the data density of images and video, right? And that as opposed to sort of text and stuff. So there's how much you can actually use. Yes, it's it's extremely important, but you can just get lost in it too. So it's you know it's it's a raw material to use your oil analogy that has to be refined. And so that's that's where these you know, the machine learning algorithms and pattern matching and stuff, that's where the, the clever software comes in because the, da the data alone just, uh, you know, is, is just what it is, it's right? It's just it's, massive. It be, yeah, it was like, you know, the oil that was in the ground at Titusville right. in Pennsylvania. I mean, before you learned how to make it into kerosene, it was useless. So it seems like there's a whole generation of people and technologies trying to make it useful. Um, one of those areas is around health and, and healthcare. What are your thoughts on really the implications? Uh, are, are we in a paradigm shift with medicine? Um, you know, one of the big companies this, this quarter that raised, I think, $900 million, a company called Grail. It's a precision oncology company. Um, there's a lot of people focusing a lot of money on ending cancer, as we know it, for, as an example. Um, is that going to happen? I mean, is is data getting us there? Are analytics platforms getting us there? AI getting us there? 
Yeah, I mean, the cancer, there are people who know a lot more about this than I right. People have written books and so forth. And, you know, you know this is better than I do. I mean, there are you know, various different kinds of cancer. It's targeting. It's, you know, it's all these kinds of things. I mean, and in fairness on cancer, nothing is ever, all the money the NIH has ever spent has, doesn't come anywhere near to the effect of smoking cessation. Right, has had in right. terms of cancer rates. So, or wearing a so, seatbelt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, this is cancer, but it's, you know, it's death, right? Um, but, yeah, I think you know, there's that. There's the high-end stuff that you're talking about oncology and cancer. I think the other huge shift is what this world changes is the economics and the business model. I mean, people say, oh, the American healthcare system is broken, it's terrible. No, it's not. It responds beautifully to the incentives it's given. Mm -hmm. Fee for service, more of everything. And because that's the only thing that you could measure was inputs. I mean, the whole, you know, the whole movement toward accountable care organizations and the like is that you can measure outputs. And that is with, you know, this is data collection and analysis that allows you to move to this sort of, you know, we want outcomes as opposed to inputs. And this is, healthcare is one example. There, GE is doing that with jet engines, right. right? It's everybody, and that's, but healthcare is the biggest one that you could actually change the needle on. And, you know, these integrated uh, multi-specialty places that also are often insurance, insurers themselves, who, like Kaiser, like Mayo, like Cleveland Clinic, right, who have, they have their own economy, if mm -hmm. you will, built in. And they're doing more of this than anybody else, right? And I think that's the future as well. I mean, it isn't, um, yeah, there's high-end stuff, and that's great. <laughs> um, and, and I think you do move toward, um, you know, routine tests are now genetic. I mean, mm -hmm. I've got, my daughter and my wife have been checked for things, right? Mm -hmm. for, and they, because you have the gene marker. And it's become, um, you know, it, it, it may not be that this is, it's this you know, high-end cocktail of stuff that's really expensive, right? It just be, that's a market, so let's take a look now. So the preventative health and, um, and early detection you know, goes way down the food chain from where it once was in, in, in detection of these cancers. I think huge payoff there. And those are, you know, those are sort of singles instead of home runs. Right. To use the baseball analogy. I just, and I think there's, you know, that's how you affect many more people in the long run, then um, the high-end stuff's going to come. It's great. I mean, but it's also, it's extremely expensive and it's going to take time. So what are the biggest challenges with data? Is it literally connecting the data silos? Is it privacy yeah, issues? I mean, is it, and, uh, all of those things, but I mean, one of the things from a p practical standpoint, I did a piece on this company, you know, three years ago, I think, for the New York Times, and New York Times couldn't care less, right, if, if I did this story, but you know, it used to be in all of technology IT, the, the old bromide was that, you know, 80% of your budget goes to just keeping this stuff going, right? Only 20% is in the new stuff. And in the data world, we're still kind of grappling with this you know, 80% of your time is in data janitor work. Right. <laughs> right? And kind of getting Cleaning it ready. Cleaning it up. To make it, you know, and then there are this you know, extraction, transformation, right? And, so, and there are people wear t-shirts. You are what you ETL, right? And so that's a big, that's a big roadblock. I mean, we'll get around the automated tools. I mean, a huge amount of investments being made in, you know, from startups and, and established firms, you know to tackle that problem. But it's certainly one, I mean, it's, it's one of the big kind of gorpy plumbing problems, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, it's, it's not a small one. So I, I often think about, you know, these multi-billions of dollars that have been invested in EHRs and, and these electronic health records, and 
do you think it's possible or likely that just some new system completely comes and surpasses these legacy systems that aren't connected, that have all these data issues, that have the messy sort of disconnected systems? Possible, but the way we've always done it in the past is like geology. You know, the new stuff goes on top of the old stuff, so again, you can extract it. I, I just, um, you know, so many hospital systems are oh, tied into it. Epic or sooner, right? And you're not, it, it, in the same way that underneath here, you know, Wall Street, I mean, underlying transactions are still, you know, the core is still done on mainframes, right? And then everything else is built on top of it. I think what you have is the, you know, the center of gravity in terms of what you can do moves toward um, much more sort of online and cloud. Um, but it's, you know, you, you don't, the, the legacy still remains. It just won't be where the action is or what you can do with things. I mean, it, 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 you know, it, it'll be there because so much of historical data is there, right? Um, but you, you, you know, you move toward newer tools. It's something that, you know, we often talk with our Health Transformer CEOs about, which is in health and healthcare, you've got to collaborate with the legacy systems and institutions. Whereas I know traditionally in, in technology, often the, uh, the disruptors completely bypass or go around. Um, in healthcare, it doesn't always work that way. Um, so new collaborations are needed and, and really working together is often needed. Um, what, what other advice or wisdom do you have for, for startups or entrepreneurs um, getting started today and uh, what they should be paying to as it relates to dataism and, and technology? Yeah, I, look, your advice would be better than mine, but <laughs> I mean, one thing, you have a neat idea. But you know, do your market research. You know, whose problem is it going to solve that's going to pay you money? <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's a mundane thing, but I think that's one of the kind of, you know, you started out and you thought it was going to be in pathology. Well, maybe it's, you know, something else, right? You know, it's, it's wherever the diagnostic kind of direction takes you. And, and use these tools. I mean, they can... Um, they're getting much more low cost. They're, you know, they can be extremely valuable. And, uh, and don't try to build them yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to use, you know, whatever your comparative advantage is to, to you know, kind of try to roll your own down some technology gopher hole. I mean, if you're, if you're a startup and you're not coming out, you're not you know, a PhD quant, and that's your idea. In the same way in pharma, right? It's why the IP is, matters. I mean, the, the molecule is the invention. In most of these things, the molecule, you know, you're, you don't have a single kind of eureka invention. You're, you're building on top of something else. So make sure you're, uh, uh, you know, work with what's there that can, you can take off the shelf and, you know, make your layer, your layer of comparative advantage. Great wisdom. So uh, you wrote this about two years ago, yeah. or it was published about yeah. two years ago. That's an eternity in terms it of is. data and innovation cycles. Um, what's next? Are you working on a sequel to this? Are you working on any other big projects um, that people need to know about? I need to know, so I, would, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't pretend. But um, you know, what's happening, again, in, in, in the technology world, things tend to be, you know, they move in evolutionary steps. And you know, much of what we're calling artificial intelligence these days is really the here and now, the software application of data science, right? It is, 
It's a lot of data and, and machine learning algorithms applied to it. And that's what we're called. That's where we're really seeing in, in decision making um, things really kind of expanding. And what's really, I, I mean, what's happening in a, kind of an area to cover is, um, you know, we're moving from so many, and the kind of the drift of, it, maybe it's too early, but the drift of this book was try to look beyond Silicon Valley. I mean, my view is that, again, sort of, you know, so much the, you know, the best and the brightest were used to increasing your odds to making a sale. You know, targeted marketing, you know, targeted ads, personalized marketing, product recommendations, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I like followed this Hammerbacker kid, right? I mean, you know, I want to see how is it making a difference in the real world, right? And I think the thing to watch is increasingly it does, and that and that raises all kinds of issues too. I mean. For most of these kind of the marketing and retailing kinds of things, you know, better on average is plenty good enough. Right. Um, and I will quote one of the real data scientists who's a high-end quant who actually is now working for an ad targeting firm, a woman named Claudia Perlick. Um, and she said, look, it's a great time to experiment for what I'm doing. I said, if, somebody, if my algorithm is wrong, what happens? Somebody sees the wrong ad. It's not a false positive for breast cancer. But we're getting into those categories where it's being used for medical diagnosis, hiring, uh, crime prevention and the like, and lending, right? These are decisions where better on average isn't good enough. You're dealing with individual people, right? right. So that lives, people's lives. That's and, and, or, and huge effects on their lives, right? Yeah. Um, and their outcomes. So that's a whole kind of, it just gets a lot more interesting yeah. in, in well, how these things are used. And it raises a lot of public policy issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one, one last thing I'll say is we need more of these great, talented people that, that you um, keep writing about and, and, and talking about to stop focusing on just the ad clicking and, and yeah. come over to meaningful so, innovation. Yeah, it's so, the best part. Yeah. It, well, thank you so okay. much for your time this is, and sharing your wisdom. This has been really great. Thank you, thank Steve. Thank you. Really appreciate yeah. it. Take care.